Um, we're in week four of our series, um, A Limitless God. It's something that we felt really strongly about in um, the beginning of this year, that in the first season, we want to talk as much about God as possible. Um, there's something about God that excites us as Christians. But also realizing that when it comes to, to God, um, it's sort of strange to see how often we start talking about God, but we end up talking about ourselves, where um, sometimes we lose the ability and the capacity to focus on, to experience, and to grapple with God in His being and the ways that He's revealed Himself to us. And, and in the next couple of months or so, we, we really want to take some time just to grapple with God and the way that He's revealed Himself to us, knowing that as we encounter, as we grapple with the God who is, something of a sense of awe and wonder will arrest our hearts. Um, and it's amazing, if you read through Scripture, that's, that's one of the mechanisms that people grow in their experience of God, is the fact that they, they, they look, they see, they dedicate, they, they put themselves in a position where the, the focus on God becomes the primary reason for living. There's another way that you grow in your experience and knowledge of God. Um, it's when you choose control and God then uses suffering um, as another mechanism to show you that He's bigger than you. Uh, and all of those are available. I think if I have the choice, I'd rather choose um, the focus on, on the, the awe and wonder of God. But every one of us has moments where, where we go through suffering in life. So we've, we've got this unlimited God, this limitless God that, that I think the biggest journey in life is to grapple with who He is, as revealed through His Son, um, as experienced through His Spirit, as um, just encountered in, in the world that He created. But then we are so limited. There's something about us that just doesn't have the capacity to experience a limitless God in the way that He is. So our whole life journey would be spent on just grappling with experience after experience, um, knowledge after knowledge of just coming to terms with who this God is in our, inf in our finite, our limited capacity. So a big part of tonight is just challenging us all to say, on the one side, God is limitless, but also realizing that we are limited. Um, and there's a beauty in that. See, we, we have limitations everywhere from speed uh, to where we're allowed to stop or drive. Um, our age creates certain limits. Um, there are certain moments when I get to a playground and I think, oh, I want to go on that. I just don't fit anymore. Um, and it's awkward if I push the four-year-old out of my way to go down the slide. Um, they ask me to leave. Um, but then when you're, <laughs> when you're young, there's certain things that you're just not allowed to do. So, so there's all these limits. And even in relationships, we've got to grapple with the limits that, that are there. And uh, the older I'm becoming, I'm heading to 45 this year, I'm realizing that real quality in life is determined not by pushing the boundaries, but actually living well within the limits that God has given me. Where for a long season in life, it was always about pushing the envelope. But the realization that, that, that the fullness of life and true fulfillment sits in the depth of what is available. So it's in this conversation that we need to grapple with our own limitations um, and the understanding that that's something that's good, it's not a bad thing, but also not allowing this filter of limitation to dictate our view of God. Because there's something in God that the more we see, 
the more we realize um, that, that in looking and in seeing the God who is, that revelation comes to us. And revelation changes our view and our perception and, and our understanding. There's certain things that I preached as a 19, 20, 21-year-old that God forgive me. Um, but at that point, that's, that was what I believed. That's what I saw. But 20 years odd into the journey, there's a new discovery. There's a new revelation. There's a new understanding about the character, the nature, the grace that's available um, in God. Now, I want to take a scripture, and it's a scripture that we sort of grappled with um, in the series so far, 2 Corinthians um, 3, verse uh, 16 to, to 18, and you can turn there in your Bible if you want to, because there's something in the scripture that defines um, this journey of our, um, our, just us grappling with this limitless God, where Paul comes and he says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, what Paul is doing in this, and I don't have time to unpack everything tonight, and I want to say it's not my intention to give an apologetic on the gospel. I just want to challenge thoughts on our understanding of an unlimited gospel. Is that fair? So I'm not going to try to answer the questions. I'm going to try to stimulate certain thoughts for you to go and do some work around this so that in your journey of discovery, maybe God could challenge certain things with you. But when it comes to 2 Corinthians 3 verse 16, Paul takes a conversation that actually originated in Exodus 34, where Moses went up to the mountain, had an encounter with God, and as he came down, he had to put a veil over his face because as he came down, they, he realized that his face was actually shining, so much so that people could see a bright light. But he wanted to mask the fact that it was a fading glory. So he put a veil over his face so that people couldn't see that his encounter with God actually faded away. Um, but now Paul comes and he picks up the conversation and he says, When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The limitations of our ability to see God is removed. So we're not sort of guessing um, or um, assuming what sits behind the veil. The moment we turn to God, there's a veil that is removed, and, and God is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, in this unveiling, we discover true freedom. And I reckon that's something that every person actually wants in life, to answer the question, what does true freedom really look like? Paul comes and he says, well, true freedom exists in our discovery of an unveiled experience of God. So he goes to verse 18 and he says, and all of us, which could seem just um, not important, but if you take the Exodus 34 um, example, in Exodus 34, Moses was the only one that saw God. He was the only one that had the experience of God's glory. And he had to veil this glory so that the others couldn't see the reality of what he was experiencing. So now he, Paul comes, picks up the conversation, and he said, this isn't just for one. He says, and all of us with unveiled faces seeing the glory of God. And I want to say that's probably my prayer for all of us, that 2020 would be a year where we would be unveiled in our experience with God, that we would see His glory. Because something happens when we see His glory. He says, seeing the glory of the Lord as the, uh, though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image. Now again, a little bit of context. Exodus 34, what the Israelites did is they had a moment where they were in um, some form of worship and they decided to build a golden calf. 
And when they built the golden calf, they said, this is the Lord God, Yahweh. So what they did is they actually made God in their image. Paul says something different happens when we turn to God and the veil is stripped away. says that God makes us in His image. We are changed into the same image and we grow from glory to glory. That's something we'll deal with next week, just what does the change process look like. But I want you to consider tonight that there's something that happens to us if we see God, if we experience God with an unveiled reality, that it actually does something to us. That we are changed in an image that represents and reflects the glory of God. But tonight I want to sort of grapple with this um, reality of what happens if we believe in 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 a limited gospel. See, in verse 16, Paul says, when one turns to the Lord, which is um, a traditional view of the gospel. The gospel is all about getting people to turn to, to God. So what happens if we have a limited view of the gospel? Well, my experience when growing up, I grew up in a, in a church um, that sort of felt the mechanism to get people saved was to constantly tell them how bad they were and how good God was. So every Sunday evening, we would have church services And the preachers would find all the verses in the Bible that told us how bad we were and how um, angry God was and how judgment was coming. So that at the end of the service, um, we would have scores of people that repented. And it was a very similar experience. Week after week after week, a lot of the same people repented. Why? Because they were told that they were bad and God doesn't like bad people and you better get saved um, in that space. But one thing happens with the limited gospel is you, you hope and you dream about the fact that this message will actually, actually take you the whole way. But you realize in that message that it takes you only a part of the way. And when it reaches the limit, the only option is to start all over again. And that's a lot of people's experience of the Christian journey is they go to a certain point and the message doesn't have the ability to show them what's actually um, embedded in the Bible. So option one, let's go and we repent and we're convinced we're bad and we come to salvation and it sort of just cycles around and around and around. And I'm convinced that it's because we have a limited view on the gospel. Um, And I looked at, at a few just realities when it comes to the gospel just thinking about the gospel message. Sometimes I hear people um, preach the gospel as a therapeutic call, Um, something of the fact that God will make us all feel better and will help us prosper. So the gospel is all about how God's going to give you the best life possible, your best life now. So just trust Him, come to salvation, and you'll have everything you want. Um, Other times I hear so much about Jesus uh, paying for sin that the gospel seems limited to a transaction, sort of a removal of debt. And the only thing that sits in the gospel is you need to repent of your sins and allow Jesus to take your sins away. But there's a problem with that because it seems um, that that part of the gospel actually um, is more about us um, avoiding something from God rather than receiving something from Him. So we, we better not get close enough. Um, at times I hear the gospel presented as a kind of a spiritual root canal. Who loves going to the dentist? Um, uh, I hate it. Uh, that drilling experience. But we know they've got to take some bad stuff out. Um, so we've got to go to God so that He can get rid of all the bad stuff inside of us. 
And, and, and at times when, when I listen to some people preach the gospel, it makes me think that, um, that Jesus came to change politics in the world. Um, and if that was actually true, um, it makes me wonder why Jesus wasn't sent to Rome rather than Jerusalem to actually change the world order in that way. I think there's a little bit of truth in all of these expressions. So I don't think they're all wrong. But the fact is we need to grapple with this big question, what is the gospel actually? So tonight I want to give three quick points, um, just something of an, uh, an understanding of the gospel. And again, I want to say this is not uh, an apologetic, so I'm not going to try and answer the question. But I want you to think of these three things, because if we do, I think it gives us the ability to round our view of the gospel, that it centers itself way better to what we see in the Bible. And maybe just on that, I think um, over the holidays, um, when I started grappling with this, I sort of had the question, do I think that I've got a centered view on the gospel? Um, and initially I thought, yeah, I think I'm pretty centered. And then realized I'm not at all. So can I just say that if you're sitting here thinking that you're very centered on it, um, that probably says that you're not. Um, probably a great experience just to ask yourself, are you as Christ-centered when it comes to the gospel as God wants you to be at this season of your life? Realizing that the only true Christ-centered person that there is is Christ. And all of us are on a journey. And it's a beautiful journey that we have to be on. So, number one, what is the gospel? Basically, the gospel is an announcement of good news. Something big about the fact that an announcement actually matters. Um, when I was uh, in year 11 at school, uh, we were listening to the 1991 World Cup rugby final. Um, England was playing Australia. And in the break, um, in, in, in um, the break of the match, uh, they made an announcement over radio that compulsory military service was being cancelled for all year 12 students. And we probably threw the biggest party out there. <laughs> um, we're, we're a bunch of year 11 students realizing that at the end of our school year, it wouldn't be compulsory anymore. We just needed to buy another year. So 1993 would be the last formal intake. So we finished school 1992, so I had to fake one year. So I would skip. So I decided in my year 12 not to study at all. Um, and if I say at all, I meant I didn't study at all. Um, I went through year 12, did whatever I needed to do. And that wasn't the days where they passed you because they liked you. You actually had to write exams and do good um, in it. Um, so when my matric exams came, uh, I decided to go on holidays. So I took two six-day breaks in between, and I just went in, wrote the exams, and came back, and to my shock, when I received the results, I passed. <laughs> I burst out in tears, and so did my dad. Um, both of us for very different reasons. He couldn't believe that I made it, and I couldn't believe that I made it. Um, in that, and suddenly I had an issue, because this announcement that affected my life suddenly wasn't valid for the next year. And suddenly my dad made an announcement to me. He said, you are going to the army next year. That was the worst holiday of my life. I sort of planned this whole thing of uh, 1993 would be the best year ever. In fact, something like 13 of my friends at school redid year 12 that following year, except me. 
They all got um, state colors for sports. They all did well. They ended up as lawyers. And guess where I sat? In the army. <laughs> Announcements has a real effect on our life. And in essence, that's what the good news is. The good news was an announcement that God um, brought through Christ saying that the whole order of life was changing. And the essence of this good news is the fact that what God, was do what, what God was doing through Jesus will change our lives, but also change the world entirely. So there's something beautiful in the good news. I think sometimes we get confused. We read the Bible and we think everything in the Bible is the gospel. And I want to say it's not. Um, there's some pretty challenging things in the Bible. I think it's important to understand the whole context of the Bible to understand the gospel. But for us, we need to understand that first and foremost, the gospel is the announcement of good news for us as people. It was good news for them then, and it's good news for us now. So just a few verses. Um, Matthew 4:23, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news um, of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness amongst the people. So Jesus came proclaiming the good news. Mark 1, verse 13, 14 and 15, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Not repent because God's going to punish you. <laughs> Repent and believe in the good news. God wants to do something new. And there's probably not a verse that defines that in a better way than Luke 4, verse 18 to 19, where just after Jesus was baptized, came out of the wilderness for 40 days, fasted, he was hungry, walked into the synagogue or the temple, and he took the scroll and started reading out of Isaiah 61. And what did he read? These words. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed, that's a word for empowered me, to bring good news to the poor. And as I bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of God's favor. Now, we sort of like the first few, but that one in verse 19 is the one that I just want to say, that's what Jesus does to actually locate the season of favor in that time period. And that's when we read that, we realize that it's in this time period. Because Jesus had the option to read the whole of Luke 61. And if you read Luke 61, straight after to proclaim the year of God's favor, it says, and to announce the day of vengeance for our God. So Jesus doesn't announce the vengeance. He announces good news. So the good news has an effect. Um, in Acts 20 verse 24, Paul comes and he says, But I don't count my life of any value to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. And what's my ministry? To testify to the good news of God's grace. So first and foremost, I want you to realize that anything that you've, um, that you've heard in church that equates to the gospel, that isn't good news, isn't the gospel. Because the reality of the gospel is, it is good news. That everything that God intended for us in Christ was centered around a very specific word, euangelion, good news. 
But the question that we need to ask is good news for what? And that's the second thing that I want to just quickly visit. The gospel is good news announcing that we have been rescued or saved. Now, probably in our life today, things have become very comfortable. We think that we've got it tough at certain moments, but if you think about where uh, the people were at in the season that the Bible was written, they had some real, real challenges. Slavery was a thing. Um, real oppression was massive. There were some, some significant challenges. So their view of what it meant to be rescued and saved probably meant something very different to ours, which means that we can fall into the trap thinking that the gospel just secures a little bit of a good life for me. It makes my life a little bit better. Or one of the worst things that I've heard is the gospel only secures my eternal uh, destination. Well, that's not what God had in mind at all. There is a reality in terms of heaven, but there's an understanding that we need to grapple with. It's the fact that the gospel came to save us as people from death, from dying, from hopelessness, from actually wrecking our own lives. It's so important for us to know that we were saved from ourselves and we were saved from the reality of what evil actually does to people. And if we don't understand that, we would think that bringing the gospel to people is very optional. That oh, they're okay, somewhere I'll just help them with a bit of good news. A bit of good news that'll comfort them. But if I actually live in the same understanding of what happens to people if they don't know the good news, I would understand that that will kill them. It'll destroy them. It'll wreck their life. And not only their life, but everyone around them. Because the essence of what God wanted to do was to save us from ourselves, to save us from evil, but also to save us from something that the Bible speaks of that sort of brings a level of discomfort for me because I'm a grace guy. I love grace. But when reading through it, I realized that, that, that the gospel actually saves us from God in a way. So 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10, Paul comes and he says, and they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son, the revealing um, of God's Son from heaven, Jesus whom God raised from the dead. That's great. I think we all love that verse. Um, he is the one, Paul says, who has rescued us. Now that word actually implies the fact that God took the initiative to draw us to Him, realizing that if He left us there, we would be destroyed. We would perish. It will dismantle us. So it says that God took the initiative in Christ. That's why Christ was, was, was crucified and was raised from the dead, to rescue us from what? The terrors of coming judgment. So there's, there's a real reality in terms of judgment. And I think one of the things we do when it comes to judgment and terms about the anger of God or the wrath of God is we say God hates people. I don't think God hates people at all. Um, I think God loves people way more than we do. But God hates sin because he sees what sin does to people. Sin destroys us. Sin doesn't just sort of bring, uh, sin doesn't just bring a level of discomfort. Sin will destroy everything you are and everything you love. And God knows that. And there's something in that, that God did his very best to present an option of love, to open the doorway to grace, to invite us into this. And that's the gospel. And at one point, you will be responsible for your choice in terms of what you're doing in that space. In Romans um, 1, Paul takes the same conversation in verse 16. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel 
Because the gospel is the power of God that saves us. So just for a moment, just realize that you need salvation. You need to be saved from yourself. You need to be saved from the evil that wants to destroy you. But there's also a reality that we'll see that you need to, need to be saved from the reality of judgment that could come. Um, so Paul continues. He says, um, it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, first the Jews and the Gentiles, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Big terms that just speaks about the fact that in the gospel, it's God who took initiative. You didn't have to earn your salvation. You just have to receive. That's the issue of faith. So from now on, our acquittal of our sins and the penalty, penalty is received through faith. But then he continues. He says, the one who is righteous will live by faith. And listen to the next verse. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppresses the truth. That it's possible for us in living for ourselves, or falling in the trap of evil, that we will be so blinded that we will suppress the truth. And that triggers an anger of God. Not an anger that God hates you, but He hates what you're doing. He hates sin. The essence of God hates sin. That's why He went to that extent, to deal with the sin problem on the cross. So one of the things that I want you to recognize tonight is the gospel is good news. It's an announcement that God chose a different way. But it's good news because sin in its entirety will destroy us. And God loves you even more deeply than you love yourself. And he wants to provide a way out. I think one of the problems in church is if we focus only on the fact that the gospel is good news, that everyone is in, and we, we explain to people pardon but not person. That you're just excused, you're just in, but there's no dis discovery of per person. That leads to licentious living. I mean, I can do whatever I want. I think if we stick with the second part, that it's, there's a reality of God's wrath, we overemphasize the, fact, emphasize the fact that God hates sin, and it sort of just spills over to the fact that we, we communicate a message that God hates you. God's angry with you. God doesn't like you, and you better get right with God. And we overemphasize the reality of God's wrath. That's why we need the third reality. It's the fact that the gospel is good news. The gospel is good news that rescues us and saves us. But the third one is the gospel is good news about what God did through Jesus to save the world. And I so hope that our communication and our alignment in terms of a gospel understanding will include all three of these realities. Um, because I think the reality of not grappling deeply with the gospel probably neutralizes the church um, and, and, and keeps it stuck in ineffectiveness and unfruitfulness more than any other thing in the world. Because the essence, the result of the gospel isn't just that we need to hear the good news. The result of the gospel isn't just the fact that God saved us from sin. In Colossians 1, or Colossians 3, verse 1 to 3, Paul explains something of the reality of the gospel. It's the fact that we co-died, we were co-raised, and we are co-seated with Christ. So the gospel message isn't just something that took something bad from us. It isn't just an announcement that God loves everything. It's the fact that because of the gospel, we were saved from our darkness, we were saved from sin, 
But now there's a whole new world opening up for us. Listen to what Paul says. He says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life. It's something I want you to grapple with in this year. You died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. That if we reduce the gospel message to just the message of sin management or just a salvation, salvation message, we will never discover the reality of our co-inclusion in Christ. See, history records the death and resurrection of one individual, but eternity records the death and resurrection of humanity. And all that's left for us to do is to bring the good news in a way. And if people hear the good news, they will realize that they have been included in that. And that's going to stir their hearts to action. So a big part that I think happens in, in all of our lives is the enemy veils our minds and the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. The fact that this is good news for them. And sort of just helps them um, or, or captures them in this notion that the gospel is all about getting rid of a good life, the life that I want to live. But if people, see, if people can see the reality of the good news in us, our lives becomes the best representation of the message ever. And a big part of that, Paul comes in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, he says, we need to see the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. There is no gospel message without the discovery of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And probably for so many of us, the Christian journey has been something of a, of a window shopping experience where we so want the life that the Bible speaks of in Christ. But because our gospel message only took us halfway, we sort of view Christ as a window shopper does. You know what we do when we walk through Chermside? Oh, I would love that. Oh, I want that. Oh, I need that. But I don't have the money for it. And we window shop Christ. We look at the life that's actually available for us, and we convince ourselves that we can't have it, that it's not for us. So we, as people, part of the faith community, need to grapple with the fact that the gospel is way more than just good news that pardons anything. It's way more than just a message of sin management. The gospel is a message of how God saved the world in Christ. And that includes you. See, um, we stood condemned because of one man's transgression. Adam sinned. And because Adam sinned, we all sinned. But now we stand vindicated because of one man's obedience. There's no distinction the same mass of humanity that was condemned because of Adam is now vindicated because of Christ. That we are so easy to fall into the trap thinking that because Adam sinned, we sinned. But we don't want to take the reality to grapple with the fact that because Jesus died a perfect death, we have been released from the penalty and the wrath and the anger of God. So the last question before I conclude is we've got to grapple with the fact at what point did God save the human race? Because that 
in its essence is the message of the gospel. And it's important because that doesn't just change the way that I see me. It changes the way that I bring the message to people outside of this building. People that don't see what I'm seeing at the moment. A lot of us would say people are only saved once they make the decision. <laughs> but listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. Um, it says, For the love of Christ urges us on. Such a desire that I have that that would be a reality in your life. That the love of Christ would urge you, would inspire you, would, would, would create the passion in you. Because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. It's not the all that just made the decision. God loved the world. And Jesus represented not just saved Christians. He represented every human being. And because one died, everyone died. And he died for all so that those who live might, no, uh, might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, and this is critical, therefore we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. Because Christ died and because Christ was resurrected, he became the savior of the world. But not only did he become the savior of the world, he changed us into new human beings. We became the new creation. And there's something in that space that when I engage any person, I've got to do it from this mandate, realizing that every person you encounter in school, uni, in the workplace, from God's point of view, the price has been paid. The penalty that triggered anger has been settled. God paid the price for every person. That puts us in a position where we could accept it, or refuse it. But I'm convinced that if we grapple and if we ask the question on how do we present a gospel of good news about Jesus Christ and how he saved us, more and more people would come to the place of realizing that the gospel message, as it included you, so it will include them. So in my conclusion, I think four things that I believe the gospel brings to us. Um, a worship team can come forward. I believe, first and foremost, the gospel reveals an epic view of God. That the view that we had before we encountered God was so limited. It was so reduced because we thought God was angry. We thought God was vengeful. Not realizing that the love that God had for us was his primary passion. So as the gospel takes shape in our lives, I believe for every one of us that that will change the view that you have of God. And Jesus is the centerpiece, the filter that helps us see God. But more than just coming to a deeper knowledge of God, seeing God from an epic point of view, I believe the gospel introduces us to our true selves. That as we encounter the gospel, the gospel message actually strips Every um, level of sin consciousness, every level of insecurity, of anxiety, of fear away, until we realize at the core of who we are, we have been made in the image and likeness of God. That the gospel has an effect in helping us see Him, 
but it also helps us see us in a whole new way. And in seeing us, we realize that the message of the gospel isn't just something that centers around us. God's passion is for this world. His purpose is to bring His love to the world. And it's in that realization that we see and we find significance and meaning in the purpose of God. Where we realize life is not just about our own comfort, but it's about discovering our purpose in what God is calling us to. And coming to the place where we realize that because God is big, and because He's stripping away everything in me that doesn't look like Him, and because there's a real purpose that brings real meaning in this world, I can make the decision to commit myself to serve and to love the people in this world in a way that would make a difference in their lives. So for me, the gospel sits around our discovery of God, discovery of the new to us, the realization of purpose, and the discovery that we can do something in this world to make a difference. Let's pray before we go into communion. <clears throat> Father, I want to pray. Just thank you, Lord, for your love over each one of our lives, Lord. Just thinking about my life, an evening in a pub where you decided to reveal yourself to me, Lord, that that changed my life completely. And thank you, Lord, that that's the essence of the gospel. From its outset, it had the ability to transform people, to change people's lives. So, Lord, I want to pray tonight that you would, that you would arrest every one of our hearts, Lord. Help us to see the reality of the good news. <clears throat> Help us to see the depravity and the brokenness in this world and to realize that your answer was Jesus, that Jesus was your salvation brought to this world to show the world that you love us. Lord, I want to pray that this would become so much more than just head knowledge, but that the heart of the gospel would steep down deep in our own hearts, that we would embrace the reality of your love in our hearts to a point that it would flow through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.